see everything. If your God cannot tell when lies are told, you have the wrong God. You do not have the true God. Such low opinions of God turned an archangel into Satan himself. High opinions of God exalting the Lord. These are the things that are true and right and helpful. But homegrown ideas about deity, about God, are always unacceptable to him because they are insulting. To make up things about God is an insult to God. And so before us this morning is the story of this story of this married couple who thought they could lie to God and survive. Satan was behind the whole thing because Satan hates the local assembly of believers known as the church. Satan is against us and God protects us. It is a high-value target for Satan to get to the church to destroy it and he succeeds many times. Christ bought the church with his blood the Bible says and Satan tries to cheapen the purchase and he does it through people who attend the church. And here begins Satan's first attack on the local church the local assembly is his first attack from within the church using hypocrisy, the lie of hypocrisy as his tool. Coming from our Lord himself about Jesus, we have this information that could only be gained by someone as Jesus, God the Son. John chapter 8, Jesus speaking to the religious hypocrites of his day that confronted him. He said, you are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. Man, that's pretty intense. I mean, if Elijah had said this, it would have been scripture. It would have been powerful. But there's always something a little bit more. Am I the only one that when it's right out of the mouth of Christ, it's just a little different all of it is God. All of it is out of the mouth of God. But to hear Jesus say it to me, it registers in a slightly different way. Well, in this section that we're looking at this morning, Satan's attack on the church, as I've been emphasizing so far, is proof, is proof that the entire church was in jeopardy and that God found this at this early stage, intolerable and was determined to make a statement that would last down through the ages to this very day. Initially, the world was oblivious to what took place this day before Peter concerning Sapphira and Ananias. Afterwards, when the world learns of such things, do they understand? Do they get it? Well, it is up to us to help them understand these things. These are distractions of hell. To get people to be confused, to get people to look away from what God is saying, listen to me. This is what hell does. This is why in the sanctuary we put such an emphasis on removing distractions. So the focus can be on what God is saying through his 
system that he has established, the church and the preachers that he appoints to preach the word to the believers that are then entrusted to go out and preach the word as God opens opportunity. So all of that to say is very serious. We look at verse 1, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. Remember, no chapter divisions existed in the original writing of the New Testament. That came centuries later. And so, rightfully, the way this reads is, look at if you have your Bible still open to Acts chapter 5, you look up two verses to uh, Acts chapter 4 and verse 36, and Joseph's who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part. So there's a direct connection between the two events. This wasn't a random thing. Everything here is coordinated. Uh, both from heaven's perspective and also from the enemy. Ananias and his wife wanted the attention that Barnabas got. They wanted the fame in their thinking that he received. I mean, the apostles went out of the way to name him the son of encouragement. That, that, in, they embraced Barnabas. Not only had, did he donate the land, I mean, the proceeds from the land, but he had this character hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory from men surely I say to you they have their reward there's going to be a pattern to all three of these rebukes Jesus lays against hypocrisy in, in the church and for them it was the synagogue which is a parallel the Jewish parallel to the Christian church notice I did not say Gentile church there's no such thing it's a Christian church it's comprised of Jews or Gentiles or anybody else uh, I mean, you know, you hear a lot of hype about UFOs, uh, unidentified fried objects. Well, you have but seriously, you flying saucers. I mean, what? I'm not going to get into that. But just let's just say, yeah, you're walking and somebody gets out of a flying saucer. Well, you make them an offer. How much for the flying saucer? You preach Christ. Where do you stand with the Lord? <laughs> all right, that's just a little fantasy break in the middle of all this because we'll get back to this now. So that was the first rebuke on giving. And then when praying. Now remember, Jesus is citing these that are claiming to be devout churchgoers. When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. He's going to repeat that again. They have their glory of men. They have their reward. Glory of men, they have their fame, which is what Ananias and Sapphira was after. And I think, again, that link between verse 1 of chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5, and the last two verses of chapter 4, put it all together for us. Removes a lot of the guesswork. Jesus said, when fasting, when, when drawing close to God, don't use it as a springboard to boast about how spiritual you are. And everybody else is not. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. 
There's no nonsense about hypocrisy, about acting faithful. It was in the vicinity of those three verses on hypocrisy. It was that Sermon on the Mount. As Jesus closes up his Sermon on the Mount, in the vicinity of those rebukes, he says this, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not professed your name, cast out demons in your name? And done many wonders in your name, then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Lawlessness, antinomianism. That means, you know, I can have my salvation, I don't have to obey. Died, he died for me, he did all the dying, I don't have to do any of the obeying. That is rebuked. It is uh, disingenuous of these two to act like uh, they, they gave and to want the applause as an actor. And they didn't get it. Well, there's more to the story. This is not the end of it. You would think that the Holy Spirit would have said, let's just say they lied to me and I slew them. And then we go to chapter 6. But that's not how it goes. He lays out these things. All of the scripture is laid out for us. Because our response is, then what, Lord? Verse 4, while it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. While it remained, was it not your own? Yes. God never told you you had to give any of this. It was once you made that pledge. And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Yes, you have no one else to blame, Ananias. You have not lied to men, but to God. And there again, the Holy Spirit is called God. And when you link the three verses and compare them and examine them, it doesn't take much. Verse 3, verse 4, and verse 9, the Holy Spirit is God the Holy Spirit, third person of the Godhead. So when, you know, someone, well, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. No, but the word Godhead is, and it is the exact same meaning. It's just that we know that there's only three that have been put on this uh, given the status, you shall baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is the Trinity. It is more teaching, of course, on the Trinity, but that's just a quick overview. For in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead. That's what it was said of Jesus, and that's what you can say of the Father and the Holy Spirit likewise. These are the last words that Ananias heard in this life. You have not lied to men, but to God. Lying to God. That's the last thing he heard. Verse 5, Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. Let me tell you, there are a lot of Christians that don't have the fear of the church. And they are wrong. Uh, they think it's just a, you know, a place for them to go. To be accommodated. That they have entitlements. They don't see it as the house of God. Years ago, when I was a new Christian, I attended a, an Assemblies of God church, and I believed that they, most of those people there, they loved the Lord. I didn't agree with a lot of their theology then, and I still don't, but I knew I had nowhere else to go, and I would fellowship with them. And the pastor there, Pastor Bear, he would get up into the pulpit every Sunday morning, and he would say, Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. And I loved it. 
And at some point in my ministry, I reflected on that and said, I would be cheating the people not to say that. This is God's house, and people are welcomed here. But they're not welcomed to try to take over the place. And this is, again, uh, who would try that? Well, many visitors come here, and they try to impress upon us what they think we should do and change because they're, they're lacking that fear of the house of God, which is the church, the ecclesia, the curios church that Jesus bought with his blood. And it is the role not only of the pastor to shake up that teaching from time to time, but it is your role too. You invite somebody to come to church with me, but let me tell you something. Don't be coming up in here. <laughs> You know, I mean, we want to be loving. So you say it in a, in a soprano voice tone. Don't be coming up in here. And they won't think you're being so aggressive. Anyway, I, I mean, you know, we live in a time where any form of acceptable aggression is not acceptable. That's why there's this war on, on masculinity, on men. It's like, you know what? You're too much of a threat to the wrong things we want to do. Let's get rid of the bucks and we can take over everything. And they've been succeeding at that, right? Turning men into... Something else. They're not even. They're not turning them into women. They're turning them into monstrosities. So we won't insult women like that, uh, and nor will we insult them any other way. Femininity is a good thing, but it is dying. Verse five. Then Ananias, hearing these, or oh, I read that. So let me just finish commenting because I got a lot of juicy stuff on this. So he fell down and breathed his last. He died. So great fear came on all those who heard these things. This gives the biblical meaning of being slain in the spirit. This is slain in the spirit. So I was slain in the spirit, brother. Well, so was Ananias. <laughs> Dave Hunt says, the only slaying in the spirit that can be substantiated from scripture was the death of Ananias and Sapphira. If you don't know who Dave Hunt is, you're missing out. The, the chapel store has his books. And though some of them are dated because of the people that he is exposing, the facts remain. You know, you can say the names have changed, but the facts remain. Uh, where are the Dave Hunts today? What a great man of God he was, and I miss him very much. Anyway, I believe that the two victims in this chapter were always up to no good. I, you know, no one suddenly becomes base. No one suddenly becomes evil. You're not great, this great guy, you know, on, on Sunday, and then Tuesday, Monday comes in, in the genuine way, and then you're now all of a sudden uh, wrong, unless you can certainly mask that, but I mean in deep inside. And I, I base this on the Bible's teaching about God's judgment. God's judgment is not, as we covered, la as we talked about last week from the prophet Nahum, it's, it's not random, it's not capricious, it's not a whim of God, it is careful. Uh, and it is uh, loaded with opportunity to escape the judgment, just like Peter here asked Ananias. Ananias could have said, okay, you got me. I repent. His wife will get the same interview. Neither one of them will repent. Nahum, chapter 1, last Sunday's text, Yahweh is slow to anger, great in power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. And in that verse is God's desire to save, not to harm. But when he acts to harm, it has been uh, well thought out on his part 
as a righteous God. No one becomes base overnight, not even Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot was chosen to be on the staff of Jesus Christ because Christ saw in him the potential to be like the other apostles. It was Judas' choice to become the traitor. Before Satan filled the heart of Judas, Judas was already embezzling from the money box. So it wasn't that night that he betrayed the Lord that suddenly this happened. He was already up to no good. And there are other cases in Scripture. And we need it from Scripture. I, I don't want to give you my opinion unless the Scripture can back it up. Or my, the Scripture is always in the lead, so I don't want to make it sound like it's secondary to my opinion. My opinion is secondary to Scripture, and so is yours. So this, this judgment of Peter, it's not man's jurisprudence. It's not man's court of law where the best litigator wins regardless of the facts. They, this is the king's court. And he doesn't have to say, well, we know you did this and here's why. He's all he's saying, you did it. We're not asking you if you did it. Psalm 89, uh, pardon me, Psalm 98, verse 9. For he is coming to judge the earth with righteousness. He shall judge the world and the peoples with equity, unlike the court of men. I mean, there are some good judges, but there are great many foul people who should be nowhere near a courthouse. They should be in jail. And they are loose and they are out there. Continues here in verse 5. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. Well, again, no surprise at this point. Only a handful heard these things in, within three hours. Uh, this would have been suppressed or twisted by the evening news. If the evening news got hold of us, what? The church is able to do this to people? We ain't telling anybody that. Or those butcher Christians took out machetes and, you know, they would twist it or, or suppress it, but they would not uphold it. Word spread, spread around Jerusalem with sobering results. Imagine you go home, how was church today? Well, you do like you do every Sunday. The sermon was the best I've ever heard. And then uh, if you come to this church, other churches, you know, the, the sermons was the second best I ever heard. You should hear Calvary Chapel of Okay, if you're, if you're visiting, you have to know I'm serious. Okay, just kidding. But, so you go home, how was the sermon? It was good. All right, you go home from this. What happened in church today? Two people were struck dead by the pastor. Whoa. So, that's sobriety. <laughs> Just like with Achan and Judas Iscariot, uh, they, they did not live to, to profit from their gain. Achan did not get to spend any of the, the spoils he had taken. Judas did not get to spend the 30 pieces of silver. Uh, Sapphire and Ananias, the wages of sin is death. It's very serious. And again, I have to preface that because we all struggle. And that's not what is meant by that. It's the one uh, that is bold-faced. When Ezekiel in chapter 18 talks about the one that sins will die, he's talking about idolaters that are, that are, are amongst the Jews. He's not talking about every little thing. He says, if you're into idolatry, you're done. And if you come out, if you're a good person and you go into idolatry, you're going to be judged for that sin of the first commandment. Peter did not throw a stone at him, did not smote him with his hand. He exercised the gift of discernment 
in the office and power of a prophet twice within three hours with the same result. If God slew religious deceivers today, there'd be nothing. There would be what is called, uh, there would be no what is called the prosperity movement. As though we're the ones God wants us to prosper. God wants everybody to prosper in their service to him. And men and women have gone to their graves doing that. Not trying to amass material wealth in this world. Verse 6. And the young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. It's kind of cute almost how that's said. Like they were sitting outside, you know, just waiting. And they arose and went and got him and buried him. And of course, that's just Luke reducing the story down and just getting to the point. We have no record of Jesus Christ slaying anyone at his first coming. But at his second coming, he will slay entire armies. Uh, and uh, the world needs to be told these things. Hey, sure, go ahead and mock now. I wouldn't if I were in your place. Uh, but uh, make no mistake, he is the lion and the lamb. Which one do you want him to be towards you? It's totally your choice. Uh, to the righteous, of course, he is the lamb who was slain and who lives forever. And uh, to the world, he will come as a lion. Verse 7, now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Now, I'm not trying to be funny when I say she's probably out shopping because they got this money. I mean, they got all this money. What else? You got it? burning a hole in her pocket. Uh, and, and she may be buying, looking for a new house. Who knows? But it, it, I, that's my first thought. I can't. Well, I can back it up. <laughs> no, I can't. <clears throat> anyway, wherever she was, uh, she now is, comes, comes to the church. And when she's invited to go see Peter, she's probably thinking, I'm going to his office to receive accolades. He's going to tell me. He's going to give us a nickname like Barnabas. He's going to tell everybody how wonderful. That's where she's probably going to the office thinking. How many people leave this world thinking, well, you know, I wasn't so bad of a guy. Yeah, but you rejected Christ. Yeah, he'll figure it out. He's already figured it out. You're the one. Uh, again, the severity of our message, the cross is an emblem of death and, or life. You, your, your choice. But verse 8 goes on to tell us, but Peter answered his response to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. So Peter gives her a chance to confess he doesn't even bring up, oh, by the way, your husband's dead. Which, to, to me, is uh, this is how the Holy Spirit wants us to examine this verse. Basically, you can't read into it. She's in his office, or before him, because the first church didn't have a church building. And he, he gives her this chance. By omitting the fact that he's dead, the Holy, his Holy Spirit is saying lying to the Holy Spirit comes before condolences. God, God is first. And it's, it is sobering to read this story with thinking it through like this. In verse 9, at least to me, Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Well, the collusion that uh, is brought this conclusion for her. Jesus gave his pastors authority to make field decisions. 
Now, I'm not saying he's given the, you know, this is how fast is. This is not what anybody would want. Peter certainly wouldn't have wanted this, but John's Gospel, chapter 20. This is Jesus speaking to the apostles after he's risen. This is the chapter where he said, you know, tend my sheep and feed my lambs. And this is where Jesus was uh, ordaining Peter and the apostles to care for the flock. We call them the apostles, but they were pastors. They, sh- they were the ones that shepherded the flock. And James and Hebrews gets into, this is a serious uh, calling. So in John 20, Jesus said, if you forgive sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Uh, that's pretty big. He's saying, I'm giving you authority based on the, your knowledge of the gospel and my imparting to you the knowledge of the gospel to move with, it, with authority in the flock, and we're seeing it in its most extreme example. I saw there were lesser ones, but they were, have the power now to say, yeah, you are saved. You've asked Christ into your life to be your Lord. You've repented. And if they said that, that's salvation, then who could argue with that? They have that authority. And then here when Peter says, you lied to God, and we have the evidence here. That is authority. And it can be difficult submitting to authority. All of us can struggle with that. But I'll open that up a little bit more. Verse 10. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young man came in and found her dead and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. Again, it is contrary to the heart of a pastor to administer such extreme uh, judgment. But dereliction of duty is far worse. Peter knew that this is what he had to do. Uh, again, back to this authority. Because, again, it's not always easy to submit to authority, but it helps a great deal when you have confidence in that authority. This is probably some of the difference between a, a little toddler who has the confidence in the parent and then the teenager who might get to the age where they now think they know more. They're losing some of that confidence. And then they grow and they find out the hard way and then they come back and say, you know what, I, I didn't know as much as I thought I knew. Hebrews chapter 13, three times in this chapter, Paul emphasizes those who rule over you. Now we hear that as Americans loving our freedom. We wait a minute, what do you mean rule over me? Well, we mean in the house of God in the context of the scripture, not your lives. In fact, there's a name for it uh, in Christi- among some Christians If you go to a church and the pastors are trying to dominate your life, tell you who you can marry, what car you can buy, what house and where you can live, that's called shepherding and it is abusive and it should not ever be tolerated. And anybody that allows themselves to come under such kind of authority deserves what they get. But that's not what's meant. When Paul writes Hebrews 13 verse 7, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls. And those who must give account, as those who must give account, let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Well, we see this in chapter 5 here. Act it out completely. Peter rules over the church in this this event. And there is to be submission. He's watching out for souls. There are other people than Sapphira and Ananias. They're not the only players in this whole thing. He says, let them do it with joy and not with grief. This wasn't joy for Peter. And it was unprofitable for Sapphira and Ananias. So the lessons, they're all over the place. 
you hear a sermon like this, this is, my intention is to, this is what it says. And then I make other comments. And then the person goes back and reviews this and sorts it out. And that's how theology is built. That's how we know what we believe. Not just someone says, here, the Trinity, believe this. Okay. No, I, I need to see it in Scripture myself. That's how our understanding of God is gained and matured. That's why you come to church with your Bibles. And please don't point out, you said Moses' ark. I mean, you're going to misspeak from the pulpit. You're going to say word, pronounce words wrong. Uh, it, it's just going to happen. Uh, but a mature audience uh, understands. Anyway, back to this. Mature or not, they understood, <laughs> they understood that Peter had this authority. And uh, uh, as with Moses, they knew that it was best to side with God and not with the people. Adam, Adam chose peace with his wife over peace with God. But that peace that he thought he was preserving in the home collapsed on both of them. These are lessons for us. False notions of peace. Spurgeon says this, Grace which does not make us hate sin is false grace. Their sin was religious pretense which grace could not cure. Grace could not fix this because they had long ago not paid attention. And the young men came in and found her dead. Well, they probably heard the thud. I Seriously, I mean, you know, what was that? Uh, you know, I don't know. <clears throat> Did uh, these two suppose the church was unimportant to God? Because untold multitudes, they do. Acts chapter 20, I've been quoting it re or referencing it, and I'll quote it. Therefore, Paul writing, Paul speaking to the leadership, the pastors of the church in Ephesus, at, my, my, at a place called Miletus. He called them out. And he didn't want everybody to come. He just wanted the, 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 the overseers of the church. He says in his preaching to them, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. The Latin word. We get the word pastor from the Latin word shepherd, and that's where it is. That Acts chapter 20, how many of you, are, I don't, don't answer, but how many of you are familiar with Acts chapter? It's one of the great chapters of the Bible. And how many Christians don't know what's in there? Paul says, I have not shunned to declare to you the entire counsel of God. It is, uh, it is a, a powerful chapter, and it will probably take us two years to get through it. But anyway... <clears throat> When pastors implement church discipline or say no to some popular church goer, out from the woodwork come the blind advocates sometimes in support of things they don't even know what they're talking about. How could you do this? And why would you do that? And here they come, knowing little about the facts, the rights, the entitlements, and the scripture. They did not do that to Peter. None of the churchgoers said, Peter, how could you? What, what, what are you thinking? How are we going to grow the church? You keep killing people like this. Verse 11, so great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things, and nobody apologized. Listen, when a church gets to a place where it's existing to recruit people to the church, it doesn't understand who she is. We're not looking to recruit anybody to the church. We're looking to reach people with Christ. Where they go to church and worship, that belongs to God. Unless God brings it to us and say a person is going to, uh, you know, a Mormon thinking a Mormon church is Christian. Then we have the right to say, 
You need to get out of there. That is not a church. Uh, and what establishes the church is who they say Christ is. So this has everyone's attention. Proverbs thirteen fifteen: The way of the transgressor is hard. And everybody's thinking about that. Where are those who would say, Peter, how dare you judge anyone? You denied Christ three times. Nobody stands up and says that to Peter. <laughs> would you after what he just did? Or what about those, well, God knows my heart. Who are you to judge me? Well, evidently, he is God's man. Again, the church, the ecclesia. This word has a Gentile and a Jewish ancestry that, that belongs to the word. It means something. And I cringe when I hear somebody refer to the church as a campus. I know I've said this before. Or the sanctuary as an auditorium. No, schools have auditoriums. Churches have sanctuaries. Schools have lecterns. Churches have pulpits. They have one pulpit. There's not a pulpit for people who are left-handed and one for those who are right-handed. There's one pulpit. There's one, thus saith the Lord, point of contact as appointed by the Lord. And a, a lot of Christians, they have a big problem with this. And I don't know why. It is the church. It is special to God. There's nothing like it on earth. And all of these little upshoot para ministries and stuff, they take away from the church. They don't build it up. They do damage to it. Instead of rallying together and saying, we have got your back. We are in this with you. No, they want this stuff on the side. And they want to take from the church the resource. Paul said, I don't build on another man's foundation. I don't do it. And nor should we. And that's not the only place. He had Absalom at the gate. What did Absalom at the gate do? He stole the hearts of the people. I'm a little excited about this because over 30 years I've been dealing with this stuff. Not so bad in Virginia. There have been some... In New York, it was a lot. Well, anyway, they, they, they guys would go to church and steal congregations to build their own. Absalom stole the hearts of the people. Why? Because they don't understand the church. I don't think they're always up to no good. But I think they just don't know. They don't know what their Bible says. Um, and that, um, that's why the Lord has given some to be pastor, teachers uh, of the flock. Anyway, the ecclesia. The Greek, for the, for the Gentiles, the non-believing Gentiles, they use this word to describe a city of Rome. And we'll get to that in, in chapter 19, verse 32. It was the, the citizens, the ecclesia. It was nothing to do with believers. They were unbelievers. In the Septuagint, which is the Jewish translation of the Old Testament from the Hebrew into the Greek, there, the assembly of the Lord, the ecclesia of the Lord, the righteous Jewish people. So this word is a special word when it finds its way to the church. The world has its meaning for those who are called out. The, the righteous Jews had their meaning, which we've embraced. And we are the separated ones. How it got the word church from Ecclesia is kurios, lordship, the Lord Jesus Christ. The word church means the Lord. It is his. Uh, and you and I should be very, um, very particular about this thing. 
How about if somebody just started walking up to you and calling you, say, whatever your name is, and just gave you a name? Alatunje. Just calling you that. You, if you didn't like the name, you'd be pretty upset with it because the name means something. And uh, the church, the church should be the same way. Don't you go slapping on us some name. This, these names, the Ecclesia, the Curios, they are blood bought by Christ and his martyrs. Upon all who heard these things, it says, we citizens of the kingdom, uh, upon all those who heard these things, this separated the curious people from the serious people. Uh, look at verse 13 of Acts chapter 5. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly <laughs> after this event. Luke throws that in later because we get to healing after we get to this slaying. We get to the healing in the next part. But uh, this filtered the, you know, we get people that, Say, I, I'm a believer. Pardon me, but don't convict me. Well, that's not Christianity. If you're, <clears throat> if you're in blatant sin, you, there's going to be conviction. And anyone um, listening who supposes that the church must appease, you don't understand. The church does not appease. The church heralds. It announces. It does it in love and kindness, but very firm. This we have from Jesus Christ. Don't be afraid of it. Don't think we're going to go mad on you and, and start violating your and disrespecting. When someone says, okay, I'm leaving the church, we respect them for that. Not for necessarily for that, but we respect their, their choice. We don't run in back and say, no, come back. Wait, we've changed everything. Uh, okay, we'll fix that. No, we respect their choice as adults. And some of them go, they never even called me. Well, why should they? You made the choice as an adult. You just wanted a chance to let them have it. That's what that was. Let me give you a piece of my mind. No, you need the piece you have. Anyway, <laughs> it is, again, the responsibility of a visitor, of one who invites. We have responsibilities. And don't just take it lightly. Oh, I invited everybody to church. Okay. If you invite them to this church, you might want to prep them first. <laughs> you might, they're not going to come. I mean, they may not have come in touch with a church like this before. Listen, when he gets to sin, he's not going to pull punches. Should he? Do you want a pastor like this? Ooh, there's a bad word. Let's not use that one. Let's downsize it. Anyway, I'm about out of time. But Satan agitates he stirs up attendees. He did this with Sapphire and Ananias. And if he can, he will do it with you and with me. And may I, your pastor, never budge from what God has instructed me to do to what you tell me to do. And as far as the house of God, uh, I get my orders from him. That is not dictatorship. This is pastoring. This is leading the flock. If you're leading the flock, then you're the pastor. It's, it doesn't, you have it upside down. This is God-ordained. I wanted Chuck Smith to be Chuck Smith. I did not want to go to him. And for those of you who don't know, he's the pastor of us Calvary pastors. Uh, we didn't go to him and say, Chuck, you know, you need to change this. And you need to do this. And I think it is it's like when I would go to the conferences and see him, I'd just shake his hand and say, thank you, sir. I would not have known this type of pastoring had it not been for him. This church is modeled after the old-schooled Costa Mesa Calvary Chapel, not the present one. 
Uh, this is, um, I, I like it. I think it's right. I can refer you to Hebrews 13, 7, Hebrews 13, 14, and Hebrews 13, 17 to get a better understanding that we are not dictators, but we are, um, we don't appease. And, uh, you know, it, it doesn't work well that way. Anyhow, in closing this up, God makes his point in a way no one forgets it. Matthew chapter 15, verse 18, Jesus said, These people, quoting Isaiah the prophet, draw near me with their mouth, honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Well, that's my cue to not be those people. That's your cue to not be the hypocrite, the actor, but to be myself. Uh, you know, Christianity is a skill. You've got you to work it to learn it. Um, let's pray. Our Father, from the days of Nadab and Abihu, through the prophet Elijah, you have made it clear that the authority belongs to you and that there are those moments when it comes down to severe or extreme discipline. And uh, these things are avoidable. They're very avoidable. And we thank you that they're very much so. As I've been speaking these things, if you have not opened your heart to Christ, but you've been listening, and maybe Christ has been speaking to you, telling you that you are the sinner that's not right with him, that a, a judgment awaits you for not being right with him, and that all it would take is for you to come to the altar, the place of sacrifice, and put your sinful nature there. If you would like to receive the salvation that is offered by Jesus Christ, you have to come and get it. It is an invitation. If you make this prayer, it is the process, the first part of the process of receiving the salvation. You cannot earn it. You have to receive it. If you say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I have broken your commandments. I need to be forgiven, and I want to go to heaven, and I can only come through you. No one else died in my place as a sinner. No one rose again as did you. And I give my life to you this day, right here, right now, and I ask that from here forward, you would be to me not only the one who has died for me and saved my soul, not only the one who loves me, but the one who lords over my life, who rules over me. And I give my heart to you right here and right now. Now, Father, if anyone has made this prayer this morning, may they act upon it, not be ashamed of it. May they confess it outright. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.